Yes, hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, we did it. Three weeks in the bank. Have a great grasp on all these teams. Have a good grasp on the players that are making a gigantic leap. Ready to talk about the highs and the lows of this week three NFL Sunday. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Three weeks of data starting to get a pretty big picture now. You know, like it's I think week three is like probably the, the week where I'm like, OK, it's either time to panic or it's time to buy in. You know, like last week I was kind of uncertain, but like when Mike, Mike Williams does it again. Now it's like, OK, like it's time to like fully, fully buy in. Well, don't jump the gun yet. We'll get there in a moment. Again, this is our instant reaction shows. We're going to talk about usage. We're going to talk about individual players, team performances, everything that these teams revealed to us on this here Sunday on our instant and initial look on all the games. Hayden, we have to start off with the Los Angeles Chargers on the road beating the Kansas City Chiefs 30-24 to with Justin Herbert accounting for four touchdowns, 281 yards in the air. We've been talking for weeks about this Chiefs defense and if – I mean, we've had questions about them in the past, but how they were going to slow down the likes of Herbert and Mike Williams, who goes for 122 and two and Keenan Allen for 50 and one and Hayden. The answer is this with three turnovers in the first half that the chiefs gave over offensively, their defense couldn't hold off in the end for Herbert and company to drive down the field, bunch of big throws from the best young quarterback in the league. And we have here a chargers team that is two and one and legitimately awesome. The Chargers have played the Chiefs very well the last couple of seasons. Patrick Mahomes has gone over 260 passing yards in one of his last seven games against the Chargers. Like, that's kind of ridiculous. And there was a lot of uh, defensive pieces missing out for both sides of the ball, and that's why Justin Herbert was just lighting up the Chiefs defense. Chiefs defense, I think it is fully time to start panicking. Their run defense looks really bad. Their secondary looks disappointing, and that's how Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, and Keenan Allen all catch at least six passes, all have 50 yards, all have a touchdown. And Justin Herbert's already kind of putting himself into the early MVP consideration. He's just been dominating um, mostly on third downs, but he just he just looks so good out there. Yeah, you mentioned the, the run defense. And yes, they only gave up 77 yards to the likes of Austin Eckler and Justin Herbert. But hey, I want to bring up the you know field goal that tied it up 24 to 24 and that drive by the Chargers. You had... Austin Eckler off the left guard for 11 yards, then six yards, then nine yards. I mean, those were those chunk runs over and over and over again that when the Chargers needed for it to happen, they delivered. Now, I I think Brandon Staley deserves so much credit for this because he's so different than all these other coaches across the league and especially these other coaches that we've had on the Chargers where I think they were going for it on like fourth and four get a penalty. They go for it again on fourth and nine. And Justin Herbert delivers a good throw that I believe draws a pass interference flag. Like these are the trust factors that you see across the league with these young minds that they are putting faith in their playmakers. They know it's an offensive league. Even Brandon Staley, who's a defensive minded coach knows that in these situations, when it's a high total, when you have defenses that might not match offenses, you put the ball in your best player's hands. You don't just try to then stop the other team and get good field position. And I cannot say enough good things for Brandon Staley for what he's done as just one year as a defensive coordinator, now just one and three weeks as an NFL head coach. He's showing exactly why the NFL loved him so much and exactly why the Chargers made him a head coach in just a short amount of time. 
it's a very modern offense. I like how they're going and being aggressive in the red area and on fourth downs, like you just said. They're also very hard to defend. When you have Mike Williams in an underneath role, he's still that jump ball specialist near the goal line. Austin Eckler's a one-on-one matchup against linebackers in space. And then Keenan Allen's still uncoverable underneath too. So, And when you have like someone like Jalen Guyton that can just get in there or Mike Williams to win downfield, you have to cover the entire field right now. And they have one-on-one beaters. They have three of them in the passing game. So I, I don't think the Chargers offense is going anywhere. I think that they're a legit AFC team. I think that Justin Herbert's going to keep all three of these guys very, very, very relevant to fantasy. Let's keep talking about this Chargers offense because it's worth it. Let's talk about Mike Williams and make the leap candidate during his contract season. The poster boy of that in the NFL right now. Hey, it's not just one side of the field. It's not just one alignment. It's outside on the left. It's outside on the right. It's even in the slot. They are using him as a player who is a mismatch. He's not just this downfield player. He's not just contested catches. He's making people miss. He's hitting back shoulder throws. He's absolutely doing it all. And when you have three pieces of an offense, an Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams, that is purely enough. And then you have like, you know, play here or there from Jared Cook or Donald Parham or Jalen Guyton, whoever else can make a play. This is absolutely enough, especially with how this offensive line has been constructed and Herbert's willingness to make these tight window throws. On this next-gen chats uh, chart that you're showing, I'm counting four slants. I'm seeing a whip route. I'm seeing a quick out. I'm seeing two fades, and then I'm seeing a vertical shot uh, from the slot. That is literally what Michael Thomas has been doing the last couple of years. Like, yep. I, I do think we're, we're actually getting there. We're, maybe not, he's not going to get 190 targets like Michael Thomas, but he can play a similar role, and that's something that we, didn't, we never saw with Mike, Mike Williams. So I think that now – it's top 10 wide receiver because Justin Herbert and the Chargers are top five neutral pass rate, top five neutral pace. Justin Herbert's a top five real life passing quarterback as well. And all of a sudden, Mike Williams is playing like legit alpha wide receiver. So this is like the person I think that's going to really change fantasy drafts. If he's going to go from like the wide receiver 40s all the way into the top 10, like that's like the Justin Jefferson from last year. Yeah, you're making rankings and projections for a little surprise and underdog in the next few weeks. And I'm sure Mike Williams ranks very, very highly and projects very, very, very highly on those. We we do this, you know, start sit show prior to the games on Sunday. And Hayden, every single week we get questions about Mike Williams. It's time for those to stop. He should be yeah. the first name in your lineup each and every week. Uh, let's talk about the Chiefs side of this because they were down 14 to three at halftime. They did a really good job in the third quarter scoring 14 points to make this one a lot closer Hayden. But I mentioned those three turnovers. One was a no look pass early on from Patrick Mahomes. It was just behind his receiver over the middle of the field. And so that was tipped up and intercepted. You also had a CEH fumble in the first half. Um, You know, it's a team that can mask mistakes because of how good they are. But oftentimes it's because they're not facing offenses that can match them point for point and throw for throw in the second half. We're seeing these, these issues pop up with the chiefs and they're still one of the best teams in the league, but these last two weeks, Hayden against the Ravens and now against the chargers, is there anything here that you can kind of latch onto or any problems you can see persist throughout, or is it just more, Hey, these are two awesome teams that they face in the last two Two contests. I think the Chargers are are legit. The Chiefs are definitely the most top-heavy team in the NFL right now, which is kind of scary because right now they have no depth at wide receiver. Their running back looks okay at best, and their linebackers look like garbage. They have no defensive tackle depth. 
they are rushing the, off the edge with one good player. And the secondary right now looks really bad too outside of Tyron Matthew. So it's, it's a legitimate problem. And if you look back at the last three years of Chiefs drafts, I mean, it's a lot of misses. Like, we got to be honest here. It's Patrick Mahomes going crazy and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And then the rest of it is basically misses outside of Chris Jones. Like, it, it's it's getting pretty scary for the Chiefs. Now, with that said, it's still those top three guys. And I'm always going to be betting on Patrick Mahomes to figure it out. But this is not like the Rams or the Bucks where they have a bunch of good players everywhere. This is like basically four or five guys carrying this team. To his credit, this was the week that we were going to write for the rest of the season if Clyde Edwards-Alaire got home or not, because we know the Chargers defense was also giving up about 160 yards on the ground each and every week. Today it was 186, 45 to Patrick Mahomes, and 100 yards exactly for CEH to go along with a couple screen passes. In fact, his touchdown, Hayden, was on a screen pass, nine yards in the air there as well. I know that he had the early fumble. I know immediately Twitter wrote him off. Overall, though, Hayden, we got the best Clyde Edwards Elaire that we've seen all season long. That is one positive I think we can take from this. But again, it was one one of the most bankable matchups we're going to have all season. And that's what's concerning also as we spin this forward from week three. I haven't got to watch too much of this game, so I don't know like how he looked. Kind of like a bowling ball. Like he was just bouncing off stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's never going to be the explosive guy, but this, like you said, he had to pass this test because this was one of the easiest tests there is. And I think that we have to remember this moving forward. The Chargers run defense is going to be bad almost every single week. So we have to kind of note that for matchups going forward, but he at least passed the test with a touchdown and all the usage. And especially since he could have easily been benched uh, after that fumble. So I think he's he's an RB two. He's not going to be a difference maker for the chiefs, but he's in the role at least. He also fumbled inside the 30. Uh, I do want to bring up that Derwin James left this contest really early on, and we thought that might be an X factor in this contest against Travis Kelsey. And again, Kelsey ends up going over 100 yards. Tyree Kill somewhat silent with just 56 yards on his own. And yeah, Miko Hardman got a little push pass that I'm uh, petitioning to get rid of as a pass in fantasy football. Yes. Not exactly a reception, but yeah, he, yeah. he gets in the end zone as well. Uh, again, amazing, amazing work from Justin Herbert. Again, this one was so close that just making one or two plays and his coach trusting him is something that we need to see throughout. It's going to be a theme, I think, of this show as we go along. Hayden, what game do you want to talk about next? Bucks, Rams, and obviously the big story here is Matthew Stafford is as advertised. And like this is beyond nuts that like he was ever being doubted. If you actually watched Matthew Stafford for the last couple of years, you knew that he just needed more support and basically not the, like the playing talent. He just needed a, a play caller that can get him into good looks, play action looks, downfield looks. And like there was a bunch of guys getting wide open, specifically Deshaun Jackson, who's playing more snaps uh, than he had previously, was getting wide open multiple times. Matthew Stafford missed him on a couple of throws but he made more than enough throws and Cooper cup underneath right now is getting open at will. Like some of these option routes, when he's running these whip routes, slants, like he's getting open no matter what. And he's been the wide receiver one overall through three weeks. And I think that right now after watching this one, I I for sure think that there is a difference between Cooper cup and Robert Woods. Um, But it's very bullish overall that, that Matthew Stafford looks this good for all of the, the Rams weapons. Yeah, I also think there's a major difference between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff, and you're seeing that in a lot of these situations in terms of extending plays, in terms of just unreal arm talent, in terms of checking plays at the line of scrimmage, just making things happen out there that the previous quarterback just just couldn't make. And Hayden, we knew it was an inevitable for this Rams team after, you know, you, you make a play to get Deshaun Jackson the offseason. You draft a speedster like Tutu Atwell. We had seen Van Jefferson rotate in as that number three option. And yes, he hit a vertical shot 
early on in week one, but we knew the speed was going to be implemented at some point. I'm not going to say they saved it here because Sean McVay even said that they were going to wait. They He wished he had done more in week two in order to do that, but it hit. And we knew it was going to hit at some point because the arm talent that Matthew Stafford brings to the table and still at 34 years of age, what Deshaun Jackson brings to the table. Uh, what's been so impressive in these last few times is despite six turnovers in the last two contests against Todd Bowles, Sean McVay just knows how to put up yards and points on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's because in many cases, when it's neutral, when it's negative, they just throw the ball. And to get up today, you threw the ball 38 times. Now, that's still nowhere close to what we see in the past with a lot of these teams. In fact, heading into this game, Matthew Stafford had just 59 attempts and Tom Brady had 89 attempts. So this offense is even like efficient, Hayden, and you're still getting big plays. And a lot of that is the combination of the singular player at quarterback and also the head coach and what he schemes up. Definitely. I, the Rams are so legit. They're, they might be the best team, one of the top three best teams in football right now. And Matthew Stafford is definitely as advertised. I hope they keep Deshaun Jackson as the number three receiver. Like mm-hmm. Van Jefferson is like the same dude to me as Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, like over Great. the middle. Like Deshaun, like every single defensive coordinator would rather have Van Jefferson in there than Deshaun Jackson. So I hope that he can stay healthy because he provides something that this the rest of this offense is missing. It's a lot of really strong players underneath an intermediate, but right now Deshaun Jackson's clearly the best uh, deep threat. Yeah. And it feels like everyone is beatable right now in the NFL because I mean, I know the Rams are three and O, but Tampa Bay was up there with, you know, the likes of Buffalo, the likes of the chiefs with the likes of all these other players, all these other teams at the top of the rankings. And uh, yeah, they lose. I, I We'll throw out there with Daryl Henderson missing this game. You and I talked about like the role versus the player there. Sonny Michelle stepped in 20 carries, 67 yards, looked fine against a top unit Agree. defensively. And I think that's all you can ask for. So if like this is something that carries over for a week or something that pops up later on as well, I think Hayden, we can pretty much start Sonny Michelle with confidence in those moments. I would like to buy low on Sonny Michelle next week if people were worried about like the yards per carry or something silly like that. So we'll see what Daryl Henderson's status is, but I think that Sonny Michelle passed the eye test. On Tampa Bay's end, again, I mentioned that Matthew Stafford attempted just 38 passes. When you get in these scenarios with, with Tom Brady, he's going to throw the football. 41 of 55, 432, and one touchdown. We knew that Antonio Brown was going to miss this contest. So you got Mike Evans for 106 yards. You got Chris Godwin for 74 yards. Rob Gronkowski left about midway through, did pop back in, but he had 55 yards. But Hayden, there was no like tremendous explosive play. And we knew that the Rams are so good at stopping that. Because again, it's somewhat of a difference of a Deshaun Jackson 75-yard touchdown. And you did have some t- chunk yard gains. You know, Gia Bernardi, Giovanni Bernardo, 32-yarder. Gronk had 26, you know, so on and so forth. But it's not like that vertical shot's and I think part of that is Jalen Ramsey, and part of that was Aaron Donald and Tom Brady getting, you know, demolished at times in the pocket. This seemed just so well coached. It's just like so hard to move the ball against him. I thought, just based off the eye test, I thought Tom Brady looked awesome, and his arm Until- strength is awesome. His like the balls that he's thrown over the middle, like between like the linebackers and the safeties, were pinpoint, and those were just really like top five quarterback throws. And then the other thing, he was like moving around the pocket pretty well. He had 14 rushing yards. He had a little rushing touchdown, but even like just like to create space to me, he looks way healthier than he did. Yep. And obviously there's that knee injury that he was battling the last couple seasons. And I think that to me, he still looks really awesome. And when you average 7.9 yards per attempt on 55 pass attempts, 
you're doing something right. So obviously it was a tough loss. I'm sure that he's super tilted about this, but I thought that there was nothing about this passing offense that was like iffy to me at all. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm totally there with you. I think it just shows how talented the Rams are, yep. you know, how, how they do have competition in the NFC, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do. Uh, I want to mention the backfield because I thought at points, if the Bucks had a much better standing in this contest that Leonard Fournette was just going to get the touches over and over and over again, there seemed to be a period where they're like, okay, Ronald Jones, your time to get involved here. And it's just a mixed bag. Like we need positive game script for these players to do anything yep. on this team. Um, that's a couple. I have a couple of notes. Mike Evans looked like he was playing through an injury. So I'm curious if they're ever going to say anything about it because he looked like he was kind of like moving through it, but he still had eight for one Oh six and 10 targets. And obviously whenever Antonio Brown's out, like the Chris Godwin's, and Mike Evans, like just the target share just gets dwindled between those two. And I, I thought Gronk looked good too, playing through that rib injury. Um, so we'll have to monitor that, but he was able to gut through. And he, I think all these guys just to me looked really good. I wouldn't be too concerned with this Bucks loss. No, I do want to bring up on their defense because Jamel Dean left like really, yep. really early on. We talked about them returning 22 starters all offseason. They've started to lose some pieces defensively. And, you know, while they have drafted and added pieces there, if you lose one or two starting cornerbacks, which they have early on this season, when you lose JPP as well, again, these little things add up and they can be the differences when you're playing one of the top teams in the in the L.A. Rams. So, all right, you want to jump to let's jump to it. Justin Fields debut as a starter and a ma- major loss. Twenty six to six. The Cleveland Browns went at home over the Chicago Bears. But first, let's turn our attention to those Chicago Bears. On the day, Hayden Winks, Justin Fields, 6 of 20, 68 yards, 12 rushing yards, because Hayden, I believe, if I'm counting it up correctly, nine sacks on Cleveland's defense. This is exactly the projection that we had for this team and for this game, where the Bears... Their worst element on their team is the offensive line going up against Miles Garrett, four and a half sacks today. Malik Jackson, half sack. Jadavion Clowney was in the backfield. Malik McDowell, penetration. And if that's the case, Hayden, if I can be perfectly honest with you, my one takeaway with Justin Fields in his debut is that he lacks awareness, that he doesn't have a sense or a feel of necessarily where the pressure is coming from now was he given a chance in a lot of scenarios absolutely not but it's not as simple as we always allude to with if there's pressure the running quarterback gets out of the pocket and he picks up yards it's just not that simple of an equation every single Sunday they had only 42 total plays here like that's like insane to me and if you if you take away their sack yardage they ended up with one passing yard I mean I don't know like when is the last time that happened? Like that is, that is insane to me that it was that bad. So I haven't watched any of this. Um, I will note that when the Browns get a lead early, it is just good luck start stopping Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the ground. Cause they're just going to play right. ball control and he, these games can end quick. So you just saw like a very suffocating Browns win here. And this is exactly what the Browns want to do. Win with miles Garrett, win with Nick Chubb, get a couple explosive plays from Odell, which I saw a couple of those and then right. get the hell out of there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put it all on Justin Fields. Matt Nagy has a lot of responsibility on this as well. They didn't move Justin Fields naturally in and out of the pocket. They were just putting a lot in his plate. 
leaving five blockers against four or five pressures and then saying, hey, one on one. And then if they don't, Justin, we need you to make, you know, a veteran savvy play. That's that's impossible. That's really bad coaching here. Uh, to your point, though, Hayden, I believe that the Browns had 17 first downs in the first half and the Bears had 17 plays overall. Like, Jeez. I mean, it, it was a complete dominant effort. Uh, I do want to bring up again that it's just not as simple as saying we have a running quarterback. He's going to get yards. But Hayden, I also think it was going up against the perfect opposition to do that in hyper athletic big defensive linemen that can keep the edge because of their size, but also, you know, with their athleticism and just condense the pocket to force him and keep him inside. And that's exactly what we saw today. Yep. I will note that we'll get to all of them. All of the rookie quarterbacks looked really bad. Like every single one of them are really struggling. And I think that we have to just kind of remind ourselves, even though when there is a lot of talent, it takes some time for these guys to get going. So maybe a better second half for Justin Fields. If he can keep this starting job, we'll see what Andy Dalton's knee injury is saying couple coaching differences as well. Early on for the Bears, they uh, had they didn't go for it on a fourth and two on the opposing 30-yard line. Meanwhile, Kevin Stefanski on the Brown side went for it on two fourth and fives early on. They didn't get either. In fact, Baker got sacked on both those occasions. But that just speaks to the mentality that, hey, if we're in a position where punting doesn't make sense, field goals don't make sense, we're going to go for it, we're going to be aggressive, and how that can pay off towards in the game. We just talked about the Brandon Staley. We're talking about the Kevin Stefanski. Matt Nagy does not have that brain cell in his frontal lobe at the moment in order to do that. And Hayden, it's a major difference when we look at these teams that are successful and that are not. And another theme is putting your young first round quarterback behind an offensive line that can't hold up against great pass rushers. And that's yep. exactly, I mean, Allen Robinson, 27 yards, Darnell Mooney, nine, like, these are players that are good enough to get manufactured touches and manufactured receptions and the coaching just let him down consistently. Yep. I do want to bring up before we move on this game, Odell Beckham, because he did look awesome. Uh, Jake Glazer came out before the game, said that there was going to be no snap count. I think he played about 66, 70% of them in this contest. He was cutting, not because he was making that many people miss after the catch, but he was creating separation, finished with five receptions, 77 yards on nine targets, and that doesn't even factor in. Hayden, some pass interferences as well. So Odell, I think we can start him with confidence moving forward. Yep, wide receiver three with upside, it looks like, at least. And Jarvis Landry is going to miss the next couple of weeks, so I think that it's, it's Odell time for sure. Yeah, and just the combination we always talk about of Nick Chubb, 84 yards, Kareem Hunt, 81 yards, not even including the 74 yards in the air for Kareem Hunt as well. Just an unstoppable force, as you mentioned, a tidal wave once they get going. Next up, what is it? Bengals Steelers, which side of the ball do you want to start out with? Well, the Bengals are the ones that scored 24 points and won this game. Yeah. So I know I had questions about them. So why don't we start there? So the Steelers were not generating much pressure. And obviously, when you don't have TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, that is going to do something to that. But Joe Burrow was not asked to pass the ball very often. He only had 18 dropbacks to 24 carries. The Bengals are still leaning on the ground game early and often. But... The uh, rookie Jamar Chase is getting open and there was a couple plays downfield where he was uh, Joe Burrow had plenty of time in the pocket and just found Jamar Chase, who's uh, creating a bunch of separation. So when you remove T Higgins from the offense and it's just two of these receivers, you can have spiked weeks. And this was even without 
uh, Joe Burrow even having to do much outside of just throwing a couple touchdowns early because really the Steelers offense, it was very clear they were not going to move the ball, even on the Bengals at home, that they were not going to move the ball. So this was a very easy game for Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase. They all had uh, big plays, all looked totally fine. But I will say the Steelers just like did not show up at all. Tyler Boyd's early touchdown, I believe it was 17 yards. Awesome. Uh, was awesome. I mean, bouncing off, running with power. It's so funny that Jamar Chase only had five targets, four receptions, 65 yards, and two scores, because every time the Bing was popped up on red zone, Hayden, he was making a huge play, and you're yep. seeing it. It's an over route from the slot, was one touchdown, just a vertical route that was a perfectly thrown ball by Joe Burrow, where his offensive line held up. And that was has been a major question for these vertical shots, because – where we were heading into this game, and hey, now I don't know how much we can take from it because there were so many injuries on the Steelers' side, but maybe this does give Zach Taylor a little more confidence in Burrow. He also ran at times, Joe Burrow did they, five times for seven yards, I believe. I mean, I think some of those are losses. But what you add on is when you can go through your progressions, when you do have time, you can hit more of these vertical passes, and that's why you draft Jamar Chase. That's exactly the reason why. I do also want to rewind a little bit to the summer and the narrative of all the drops and the negativity, if that's okay with you, because what we should do in those moments, and this is always going to recycle and, and circle back because these you know fancy narratives always do. If something happens like this again, when a player who is drafted that highly has just one catch and drops a whole bunch of passes, all we have to think is, Hayden, that's not going to continue. Like, these players are good. They're talented. Just this perception that it drops him six or seven spots at wide receiver because he dropped some passes, that's not going to persist. That's, I mean, we got him at like his absolute floor because of it. I think drafting at his ceiling was a bit, a bit rich, but I just wanted to change a bit of the discourse if I could have. I wish I had, you know, during those final few weeks of fantasy draft season. Yeah, he's also getting really lucky. Like when I do the fantasy usage model, I'm, I wouldn't be too surprised if he's like number one or number two in efficiency because of all these touchdowns. He had a, a 42 yard touchdown, a 50 yard touchdown coming into this game. Then he had two longer touchdowns here. I will say the one, it was the the vertical route down the sideline. It was basically one on one. And all of a sudden, just Jamar Chase had a, an extra gear. And that was like the, the awesome part of Jamar Chase. Like that was like the specific play where you're like, right. okay, Jamar Chase is like a legit player out here because he was. He's obviously got the size. It's just like, boom, when he had that next gear, that's when you kind of knew that Jamar Chase is pretty legit. All right. We have to talk about the Steelers. Hayden, Najee Harris had 19 targets in this game. 14 receptions, 102 yards to go along with his 14 carries. I'll repeat that. Ben Roethlisberger scoring 10 points had was 38 of 58, 19 targets to his running back. The definition of well done, the definition of cooked. I cannot believe these Steelers, after investing a first-round pick into their running back, previous second and third-round picks in wide receivers, an extra year in the contract with Judy Smith-Schuster, goes into the season of Ben Roethlisberger because Hayden, by the end of it, we will 100% look back and say that Ben Roethlisberger is the one who ruined the Steelers season. No doubt in my mind. 
It was so bad. I mean, it was, it wasn't just the athleticism. Like there was a couple times where he just like fall over. Like he was like kind of rolling out and then just, he had to throw the ball out because he was falling over, but it was also like some decision-making. And like, that was the thing where like, yeah, maybe Philip Rivers was cooked last year, but b- before the snap, Philip Rivers knew where the ball was going out. Like Big Ben right now and this new offense and like even last year, it did not look right. He's not even trying to throw the ball downfield. So like, that's where you get these games where Chase Claypool, one of the most explosive players in, in the NFL 15 targets, but doesn't even crack 100 yards because most of those targets were out in the flats, little screens. They try to get them going, but there's just no vertical elements just like it was last year. Like the best way I was able to uh, put it, it's just him in the pocket right now. It's like if you've had a, a contractor come over to your house to install a fridge and he's like lifting it and like trying to move in the pocket and he can't move anywhere, that's Big Ben right now. And I don't see how this is going to get any better. And there's also a play where he got hit in his elbow. He's kind of like holding his hand and the grimacing off of that. So he's to me a sitting duck and he's throwing ducks. And this isn't the Oregon Ducks offense. I don't see how this is going to get any better than it is right now. If we know it, defenses know it. They can clue in on, you know, shorter targets to Judas Smith Schuster. They can take away primary reads to Chase Claypool, who I'm sure I haven't watched this game closely. A lot of those targets were just lob passes up to ask him to win in yes. one-on-one situations and he can do that because he's a freak and finishes with nine catches for 96 yards there was a fourth and 10 when this game was within reach in the final moments Hayden where the Bengals which is not a top half of the league unit shows a blitz look a pressure look and without even seeing the initial movements on the snap Ben just tossed it two yards behind the line of scrimmage for Najee Harris and two yep. defenders closing him for a loss I mean, that is inexcusable. What's inexcusable for the Steelers organization is you look at the league wide. How many players were out there that they could have gotten? You know, I understand they're close to the cap, but Hayden, nobody wanted Teddy Bridgewater. No one. He was traded for peanuts, like a fifth or sixth or seventh round pick during draft weekend. This team with any other quarterback would be competitive. I know they have offensive line issues. I know they have injury questions, but this again is an anchor to a talented offensive skill position group. And you can't do that when we're looking league wide at these players who are like, who are pushing the limits of the position and trotting out Ben Roethlisberger each and every week. It's, it's amazing that they're one of these 32 organizations across the league and they allowed themselves to be in this situation. Couple injury notes. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster has a rib injury. He left pretty early in the game. He's still being evaluated. Uh, their right tackle, he is in the concussion protocol. And then their center, Kendrick Green, goes out early with a knee injury. So I don't know, man. Like, I think that you're going to be starting Deontay whenever he's in the lineup. I think that Jamar Chase is a starter, or uh, Chase Claypool is a starter. And Najee Harris is literally not even coming off the field at all. He's uh, in the starting lineup. But they're going to just be getting there off of just like little dump offs, you know. Like this is like a full PPR team, uh, not your standard team. There's not going to be that many touchdowns. We are this close to 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Push us over that tonight. We would it would fill our hearts. I'm speaking for myself here. We roll. We continue on. Hayden Winks with the Buffalo Bills Washington football team, 43 to 21. Buffalo wins in this contest. Lots of questions about Josh Allen heading into this game, Hayden, because he was less efficient. He was more inaccurate in comparison to what his 2020 season was. We got the vintage bills, if we're allowed to say that, with Brian Dayball, putting the ball in his hands 
allowing him to try to fit passes into tight windows on those primary reads. And if not, buy some time, hit passes on the outside, hit Cole Beasley in the middle of the field for 13 targets, hit Emmanuel Sanders on vertical shots at his 30-plus years of age. I mean, 94 yards and two touchdowns for Manny Sanders. Hayden, this is a nice starting point for the rest of the Bills season as we move forward. My biggest takeaway from the box score is it is officially time to take notice with the man coverage versus zone coverage splits for Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. They're not the best man beaters, especially at at their age and given all the injuries that they've had. But against zone coverage, these two guys are so sharp. They have so much football experience that that's why they had 98 yards, 94 yards, respectively, and all these targets. So I'm really starting to think that whenever you see a team that's going to be playing zone defense against Josh Allen – it's like time to get Cole Beasley, maybe even Manny Sanders into lineups. I really like that because we know we're always going to have Allen and Stefan Diggs starting, but we need to find those weeks. No matter, I mean, full point PPR, it's pretty easy to start Cole Beasley in those spots. But to really hit home and in this spot with Emmanuel Sanders, we had mentioned it, that the usage, that he was really their number two outside receiver Emmanuel Sanders game was going to be there. I didn't expect it to be the next game after we talked about it, but here we are. It, it absolutely happened. And sure, it helps that, you know, Gabriel Davis is possibly, you know, dealing with an injury. But we also need to reiterate that he's been playing over Gabriel Davis for months at this point. And he is the locked in number three target. And there are instances when the quarterback throws for four touchdowns, when they don't really have a rushing attack because they don't need a rushing attack, that all three of those pieces in Diggs and Beasley and in Emmanuel Sanders can hit home. And while Diggs just had six for 62, that was absolutely the case here today. I think Gabe Davis is droppable. Uh, maybe not like a 14-team league, but I think like in a 10-team league or 10 or 12-team league, if there's a, a legit starter out there on the wire, I'd, I'd pick them up. And I know that Zach Moss is like getting some usage here. Um, I mean, Hayden, he had 31 receiving yards, another score. I think that's three touchdowns in the last two weeks. The two touchdowns last week, I mean, let's just remove those from our Garbage brain. time, yeah. And uh, 13 carries for 60 yards. I, I will never have it in my body to start Zach Moss on, on a roster. I, I'm just not in that situation. He's just going to be the garbage time king. And, yeah, if you think that the Bills are going to win by a bunch of points, I think Zach Moss is viable as a, like a goal line guy. But, yeah, most times he's probably not going to crack the top 24. Now, the score says that this one was a blowout win. Again, 43 to 21, and the Bills improved to two and one. Uh, there were some really fun moments for Washington here, Hayden. Uh, we had a 73 yard screen pass to Antonio Gibson. It happened early in this game. And so a lot of us got excited that Antonio Gibson now is going to have more of a receiving role. That was his only reception of the contest. Uh, and then after that, I believe immediately after that, we had a kick off from Washington that was flying into the air about five yards short of the goal line. There was so much wind, and I've always wondered if this was going to happen, that the ball kept traveling further and further back to Washington's kickoff team, and the kicker runs down and picks it up and recovers it. So it's like a a deep onside kick, which I've never seen something like that happen. But those weird moments, those uncommon moments for this Washington team is why they're able to keep pace and keep it somewhat close. Again, Terry McLaurin, 62 yards, and Taylor Heineke, two scores and two interceptions. What we also need to take into account is that this Buffalo's Bills defense is probably a top five, top seven unit as we go along. Yeah, they shut down the ground game here, and they didn't even try to get Antonio Gibson rolling. Uh, 
I think I'm like a little bit worried about Antonio Gibson. Like, yeah. If 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 Heineke's going to be turning the ball over like this, and Good they're going to be playing from behind, and JD McKissick is like clearly not going anywhere, um, I don't know. I would be I'd be somewhat nervous with Antonio Gibson. Also, a bad look for in critical negative game script that Damian Brown has two targets and and no receptions. Yep. Again, this team isn't exactly what they wanted to be. They wanted to have Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fold. They wanted to have Curtis Samuel in the fold. Um, they're one and two right now and spending a whole bunch of draft picks and money on defense and Jack Del Rio. It's vanilla out there right now. And it feels like offenses just know exactly how to beat it. And the individual players aren't like thriving in their roles and in their situations. And uh, that's not good. That's not good when you spend so much on one side of the ball. What's up next, Aiden? Cardinals versus Jaguars. We'll start with the Cardinals. A couple things. Two guys that everyone completely wrote off this offseason. A.J. Green and James Conner both had great games. Right now, we'll start with the wide receivers because Rondell Moore, I don't have the exact snap counts, but he did not play very often. And when whenever the Cardinals went into two wide receiver sets, it was always A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins. And quietly, A.J. Green's putting together some good games here. And Christian Kirk is balling out of his mind. I think that was my biggest takeaway here is Christian Kirk from the slot looks way different than Christian Kirk on the perimeter. A lot of those like prayer yards down by the sideline last year where had no chance. But in this role, he looks way more explosive. So now we have to turn to Rondell Moore's breakout. When is it coming and who's coming off the field? Because I don't think that you can bench any of these guys in front of them. So I think that Rondell Moore, you should be kind of concerned here. You need like an injury or something because A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins are playing way, way, way too well to be taken off the field. I'd even throw in that there was an injury here to DeAndre Hopkins, and I haven't seen the snap counts either, but whenever he got a target or got the ball or was trying to cross you know, the formation, he looked hobbled, like he did not look 100%. But I think what Cliff truly understands is that he's at the team is at the best when it's Nuke on the left, A.J. Green on the right, and then some mixture of Christian Kirk, especially, and then Rondale featuring in the slot as well. Yep. And you can roll from there. It's much better to put players in positions to win rather than try to force Christian Kirk as an outside receiver and then have Rondale in the slot. You keep doing this. You keep rolling. And what Kyler Murray is doing, again, 316 yards, no passing touchdowns. But, hey, we're still getting that rushing floor with him with that bootleg in the end zone. Um this game was, you know, up and down. It was a bit of a yo-yo at times because Jacksonville was up 13 to seven. But Hayden, what I love is this was a difficult win for Arizona. Like we see them as a flashy team. We see them as a, a you know, deep, high variance, big play team at times. But this had some nuance. It had some detail. It had, you know, James Conner, like you mentioned, two inside the 10 yard runs for scores, different elements and different layers from this Cardinals team, I think is really important to see as we go along in multiple ways to win. It had some bursts from James Conner. Sorry to all the haters out there that didn't watch his film and just pretended that he was dusted. He was actually, I think, pretty good last year, and he did not look like dust this week. Uh, The other thing that we had in this game, we had an Urban Meyer flea flicker pick six for for Trevor Lawrence when the game was really tight, and the the Jaguars had a a lot of momentum, and I mean, it was a bad flea flicker, and all of a sudden just Trevor Lawrence forces a ball that he shouldn't have, and then the game was basically over at that point. So the Jaguars were feisty for a little bit, but they were, like, feisty in, like, unsustainable ways, you know? Like, this team still has a ways to go. 
I know a lot of people are going to put that play on Trevor Lawrence and it was, it was a bad decision. He was also trying to make a play in that moment when his guard, Andrew Norwell, like didn't know the play call and yes. immediately allowed JJ Watt to penetrate, get in Trevor Lawrence's face, ask him to backpedal and throw off his back foot. And then Byron Murphy comes and crashes in and, and intercepts that pass. Trevor looked really good. Oh yeah. On. Like that DJ Chark throw on the left sideline, Marvin Jones continues to be the number one option on the team with, 62 yards on eight targets. We mentioned 49 yards for DJ Chark in that score. Visca continues to be in that short to intermediate and namely short role. Uh, what surprised me was when we finally got positive game script from the Jaguars, when we finally got a lot of neutral game script from the Jaguars, James Robinson was featured. Yep. I still will have trust issues believing in that weekend and week out, but at least we have some glimmer of hope that that is possible here moving forward. And he's not, I mean, it was kind of trending towards like droppable stage with James Robinson. And it's not anywhere close to that anymore. Last week, he had the routes and the snap shares that we were looking for, you know, and it, I noted it. They gave J, uh, James Robinson a carry to start the first drive, the second drive and the fourth drive all in the first quarter. So they were trying to get the ground game going. And in the second half, James, James Robinson was ripping off, a bunch of plays. They're going to mix in Carlos Hyde a little bit, but I am guessing that the snap counts here were closer to 60 or 70% for James Robinson, plus all of the important situations near the goal line and, and negative game script. So I do think that he's a, he was a buy low coming into this game because he was at least running the routes and he's too good of a player to be honest, to like be taken off the field for Carlos Hyde. Three receptions, 44 yards and a score for AJ green last week, five receptions, 112 yards for AJ green this week. Usable weeks. Who knew, Hayden, that we already had two out of AJ Green, round 17, 18 selection in your best ball drafts this summer? Oh, oh, the age model is shook today with Emmanuel Sanders and AJ Green. Uh, anything else on this game? We also had a Jamal Agnew 109 yard tying the NFL record for a score. Yeah. Incredible stuff. I mean, just love when when moments like that happen. We had 19, 19 targets in one game to the running back, which broke records. And then now we have Jamal Agnew breaking records as well. This game was so nonsense. There's a bunch of things that happened. There's just too many fantasy takeaways to talk about. But this game was like a game pass game for sure. If you have if you have an account, uh, should we talk about the Baltimore Ravens barely barely beating the Detroit Lions 19 to 17? Uh, this game had a seven and a half point spread for the Ravens on the road before they started. Now they improved to two and one in weird. Weird ways. I mean, Hayden, think of last week, the perception that we had from, from the Ravens where they go and beat the Kansas City Chiefs to now barely on a 66-yard field goal as time expires, hitting the crossbar, bouncing up and going over with Justin Tucker to go from losing the game to winning the game. But Hayden, the player who almost lost it for the Ravens was Marquise Brown. I mean, should have had two or three touchdowns, pinpoint passes from Lamar Jackson in those scenarios. I know his stats might read as if they were a pedestrian. Again, 16 of 31, 287, one touchdown, one interception, just 58 yards on the ground for Lamar. But if you factor in those missed opportunities that were he did his job, his wide receiver did not, boy, do I miss Rashad Bateman. Yeah, Rashad Bateman's coming, though, so that's good news. I'll also note that the Ravens were missing, what, four of their top five, top six defensive linemen this game, too. So this was like a, a very 
easy game for the Ravens to get away, but we just have to put Justin Tucker straight into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's definitely the kicker goat with with all that stuff. That was like one of the most incredible plays I've seen. Lots to talk about in the Ravens and Tyson Williams, just five carries for 22 yards, only one target. It's so difficult to get a grasp on this Ravens backfield because Hayden in week one, we saw, I think, a great first half from him. Then last week, it felt like they trusted him in a really important matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then we roll into this game. You know, Latavius Murray gets seven carries. Devontae Freeman gets three carries. While my eyes tell me that Tyson Williams is the best runner on this team, it certainly feels like the Ravens have some lack of trust there to the level of degree that they had in J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards previously. I haven't watched this game, so I have no idea what happened. Coming into this, into this game, I think he was like uh, RB24 fantasy usage, so I thought that he was for sure started the matchup and all that stuff was good. So I'm cur- very curious why he didn't play as much. Mark Andrews got home. We've been waiting for it. The usage has been there. Uh, five receptions, 109 yards. Let's talk about the lines. And again, I need to go back and watch this, but this remains the style, at least on paper heading in, when they're you know underdogs by seven and a half points for DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams to get home. Now, a lot of it is in rushing. And Hayden, I've noticed this. Like the first couple drives in week one, the Lions can create push and penetration. And especially when you add that up, and this is something to know and, and zoom out when you're looking at these matchups moving forward. I mean, the Ravens, all of their COVID issues were all along the defensive line. And so with a good offensive line, good running backs, plus that, you get some rushing production um, out of both of those backs as well. I don't have anything else to say about the, the Lions. It was just amazing to me. And just to me highlights exactly what the NFL is like when you go from a high of being the Chiefs and then this game, and uh, how close this one was in comparison. Yep, so. nutty outcomes. Uh, real quick, DeAndre Swift, another seven targets in a tight game script. Like it's just like going to happen Bankable. for him. Yep, bankable. Uh, Patriots and Saints. Let's roll through these. Twenty-eight to thirteen, the Saints beat the Patriots. I have not watched this game closely, but Hayden, I think my overall takeaway is while the Patriots, their game plan for the season was to have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Injuries and poor play has destroyed that plan. And they don't really have a great pivot at this moment, especially against a Saints team that has gotten healthier with Marshawn Lattimore. And it just felt like every single time that Mac Jones was trying to make something happen or forced to make something happen, um, he was getting knocked down. And that the Saints were the Saints were the ones that were bullies on both sides. And that's who the Patriots wanted to be this year. This offense is very soft. Like, they can't run the ball at all. And they basically gave up. I mean, six of their 17 team carries were Mac Jones probably scrambles here. Um, mm-hmm. And they basically got Damian Harris out of there when, when they fell into negative game script. couple notes, though. Uh, James White looks like he's going to miss significant time with a, a hip injury. That's what the Twitter doctors are telling me. That just means probably a little more. Damian Harris, I think that they're going to get J.J. Taylor involved here but that's a huge element of the Patriots game right now it's they're leading the league in draws by like twice as many and that's because they can't beat uh the defense alignment one-on-one right now because of all their injuries and I think that's a huge element that James White was providing them and Mac Jones has not been wanting to push the ball downfield very much a lot of check downs to James White too so he's a very important part to this team I think they're going to really miss him um so Mac Jones has to be able to push the ball downfield or that the defense is going to start suffocating him underneath 
Yeah, 270 yards on 51 attempts for Mac Jones. Neither one of those outcomes is what the Patriots want to be. I want to go back and watch this. And I think to what you're saying, when James White went out, they probably view Brandon Bolden as more of a passing down player. And so that's why he got run over Damian Harris. But there was even times when they had the ball inside the 10-yard line. Our friend Nick Rudman, some might even call him our pseudo boss at Underdog, is our is our local in-house uh, Patriots report, and he was irate. He said that this was one of the worst coaching jobs ever by Bill Belichick yep. and Josh McDaniels, and I, I really want to want to review that completely. But a game where you know there are only twenty one passes, thirty eight carries. Alvin Kamara owns it. I mean, twenty seven touches from Alvin Kamara, over a hundred yards and a score on the ground as well. What other games have we not covered here yet? Tennessee and Indianapolis, Hayden. Tennessee wins, improves to two and one, 25 to 16. The Colts drop to 0 and 3. Uh, Carson Wentz, to me, the formula of a quarterback who has lead in his feet, who plants both his feet and then tries to make magic and become a superhero when he's pressured. Adding two twisted ankles on top of that, Hayden, it's a formula for failure. And that's exactly what happened today. Yeah, they're not a serious ball club right now. They're missing their, their offensive tackles. And Quentin Nelson has a high ankle sprain. It looks like he's going to be missing a couple weeks too. So it's going to be pretty much good night for Jonathan Taylor drafters that drafted him at, at like the round one, two turn. He's playing fewer snaps than Naeem Hines. Naeem Hines had a rushing touchdown. Naeem Hines ain't going anywhere on third downs. We know that's happening. And the one positive that Jonathan Taylor had always in his back pocket was a good offensive line. Good night. They're, they're all, all the, the three best offensive linemen are hurt and they lost some depth pieces even coming into the season. So for me right now, you have to drop Jonathan Taylor in the rankings, maybe yeah. move Naeem Hines up. And I think that just like Michael Pittman's kind of like that safe wide receiver three based off of volume. Yeah. I know they don't have a left tackle. I know right tackle Brain Smith was out. I know Quentin Nelson left, but the Titans are clearly one of the worst defenses in the NFL and only yeah. putting up 16 points on that, including 178 passing yards, 87 rushing yards that absolutely will not cut it. The Colts are I'm not going to say a shocking 0-3 team, but they're already six feet under for their season. You can't crawl back from this, and they're already dealing with so many injuries. Um, yep. on, on the Titans' side, it wasn't beautiful, but it's exactly what they want to be in throw to lead, run to win. Derrick Henry, 28 carries, 113 yards. What I loved about Ryan Tannehill is that A.J. Brown early on went down with a hamstring. It was a vertical route, then just trot it off to the sideline. We still haven't had an incredible – Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Ryan Tannehill game, the trio of them. But he goes and throws it to, you know, backup wide receivers in Westbrook and Batson. Jeremy Nichols had a receiving touchdown. This is kind of the Ryan Tannehill that we fell in love with under Arthur Smith of, hey, we're going to be hyper efficient on 27 passes and you get home with three touchdowns as well. I listened to a quote from Vrabel. They asked him why Julio Jones was not playing in crucial spots late in the game. And he kind of said it was like a pitch count reason, but it also seemed like I was reading between the lines. Like mm. it seems that Vrabel's like mad at Julio Jones for something. So I haven't watched this game, but Julio Jones has been super hit and miss. And this guy has not practiced at all for like the, since he signed uh, or since he's been traded for. So obviously Julio Jones becomes a fringe wide receiver one. If AJ Brown's missing some time, we don't love hamstring injuries, especially after, A.J. Brown spent this entire offseason also not practicing because he had uh, knee surgeries. So it's not looking good for, for either of these teams. AFC South, luckily, is just complete dog shit. I believe we have three more games. Hayden, you want to talk about Miami and Las Vegas? 
Yeah, let's do it. So a couple main takeaways. The Raiders passing offense still looked very aggressive. Uh, they basically phased Kenyon Drake out of the out of the game, and they gave Peyton Barber 23 carries into overtime. They ended up winning in overtime in, into overtime. A couple major takeaways. Henry Ruggs, to me, looks like a guy that's starting to fully get it. And there was a couple plays where obviously you know Henry Ruggs can get deep downfield. Derek Carr actually missed Henry Ruggs on a deep touchdown opportunity. But what Henry Ruggs does as a small guy is he high points the ball. And that's something that you did not see from a lot of like just speedster types. Like something like Tutu Atwell, for example, has like the same speed as Henry Ruggs. But he does not have the high pointing ability that Henry Ruggs did. And he did it twice here. And this was a good test for because he was playing against man coverage with the Dolphins here. Comes away with seven targets, 78 yards. I think that's a win. He could have had like 125 yards and a touchdown here if Derek Carr hits him. So I think that Henry Ruggs is starting to turn the tables where he's starting to become more comfortable as like a flex play. Yeah, just as you brought up, it wasn't just outrunning everyone on vertical shots. He was making really difficult grabs along the sideline. That's putting, you know, the complete package together. I'm so glad that we're seeing it even after, you know, a down week one, a disappointing week one. We're really getting it in these last few weeks from Derek Carr, and we're getting it from Henry Ruggs as well. The backfield without Josh Jacobs is always fascinating to me. And Peyton Barber, 23 carries for 111 yards and a score. You can't give Kenyon Drake that much money this offseason and let let Peyton Barber touch the ball 20, like five oh. times. That's that's he embarrassing. Did. Well, it's embarrassing for the Dolphins that they allowed him to rack up 111 yards on the ground as well. Uh, on Miami's end, this is our first exposure to Will Fuller, who left seemingly after going up for an end zone target, just six targets, three receptions, uh, and 20 yards. He did come on down with a two-point conversion. Uh, somehow, Jalen Waddle is on the Najee Harris path, 12 receptions for 58 yards. Mike Kosicki, leading receiver, 10 receptions, 86 yards for him as well. I haven't reviewed this game, but I will be fascinated to see how different the Jacoby Brissett to Tua Tungavailoa differences are. Uh, Hayden, I'm assuming it's I'm going to hold on the football a little bit longer. And then I'm also going to try to make things happen a little bit more with my feet. And I'm just a bigger body back there at quarterback. To me, it's the Spider-Man meme. There's like the same dude back there. It's like two kind of lumbering quarterbacks that could like move out of the pocket a little bit. But you don't want like two moving outside the pocket or Jacoby Brissett. So they're making like a couple plays, but it was like, uh uh-oh, get down, dude, because you're about to get uh, smashed. And a lot of the stuff remains underneath. There was a really embarrassing play by the Dolphins, probably the worst play of the game or of the entire NFL slate was they're on the, like the one yard line and Jacoby Myers or Jacoby Brissett without that much pressure, just flicks the ball to the flats to Jalen Waddle, who didn't even run a route. He just kind of turned in his own end zone catches the ball, gets tackled safety. Like, I mean, it yes. was, it was, that was, I mean, that was one of the worst plays I've ever seen. I think that pro football reference said that was the first completed catch for a safety in like NFL history. Do I have that right? Correct. That it was the first, like, successful play that didn't feature a holding or a sack that has or a run that resulted in a safety which is incredible so many first here Uh, i do want to bring up when we take a view of all these teams and and who they want to be it's pretty clear that the dolphins have a critical flaw already that they're not going to be able to overcome it's their offensive line like things just can't happen because of it and quarterback play both of them and and quarterback play but i would say you get along with milling quarterback play if your offensive line was good and the offensive line might be bottom three bottom five in the nfl on a good day i got one more note in a lot of the crucial situations they were using malcolm brown 
over Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin leads the team with 13 carries here. But it was interesting, like with the game on the line, they gave Malcolm Brown two Wildcat carries, and he was still on the field for the other downs. And there was a couple other crucial moments where Malcolm Brown's in there. So I think that Malcolm Brown's still that that really veteran, trustworthy guy that's just going to make Miles Gaskin behind this offensive line basically irrelevant. Maybe he's an RB3, but he's like nowhere near the RB2 ranks for me. Seattle is one and two after a loss to the Minnesota Vikings, who win 32-17 in this game. Hayden, running back insurance, played a major role in this contest, played a lot of roles in people's backfields on their fantasy rosters because Dalvin Cook was a top two pick in all drafts this summer. And what now do we have from Alexander Madison? Last year against these same Seattle Seahawks, he had 136 total yards. Then everyone started him the next week, and he flopped. So he just has this negative perception attached to Alexander Madison's name, despite in week 17 going off. Now, Hayden, what you and I banked on, the small sample size that people saw in a spotlight game that they cared most about, we profited here with Alexander Madison, 26 carries, 112 yards, to go along with six receptions for 59 yards. It's the offense that we love, and it's also the talent that we really, really like, and that combination was profitable today. The first thing is Alexander Madison is actually a pretty good backup running back, and he can play all three downs. And I just wanted to bring up the game logs here because, like you said, he had three opportunities to start in his career. The first game in Seattle when he was came in for Dalvin Cook, he had 20 carries, 112 yards. Then when everyone played him in DFS and they lost all their money because he got game scripted out of it, the Falcons were up like 30 points. I mean, that was just like never the game script. And then in week 17, when nobody was playing, he has 21 carries, 95 yards on touchdown. And today he goes nuts again. So to me, he's like 90%, 80% Dalvin Cook. He's a top 10 running back if you have him for as long as Dalvin Cook misses. And this is just like number one thing to profit in fantasy is avoid the small samples. And, and nobody was a better use case than Alexander Madison this year. I'm not saying his individual value on a week-to-week basis is standalone like Tony Pollard's, but you and I advocated all summer long for Alexander Madison to be drafted in the Tony Pollard territory when he was being forgotten about. He wasn't even drafted in the top 150 for so long during the summer because this is the type of outcome that we, you and I expected from him. And Hayden, Justin Jefferson had a day two. Kirk Cousins was unbelievable yeah. in this game. And I know a lot of people were concerned about Justin Jefferson based on the first couple of weeks, and Adam Thielen was the one scoring touchdowns. But this is what the talent always brings you. It's outside breaking routes from outside alignments. It's inside breaking routes from inside alignments. It's creating separation. It's winning after the catch. Justin Jefferson always brings that to the table. So when you get Kirk Cousins at home, you know, holding up against pressure, winning also against pressure, you can have these massive Justin Jefferson games in the back end as well. He's one of the top five best route runners in the NFL already. I, he just, he, to me, he's amazing. He's, he's one of the most fun receivers to watch. Do you want to bring up the Seahawks a couple things? One, Chris Carson, I think, remains one of the more underrated running backs in the NFL. Elusive, shifty. He left for a moment, did come back in, um, finished the day with 80 yards, a touchdown on 12 carries. What's up, Hayden? I was just worried about Chris Carson's address. I saw that he had like a little hamstring, but he came right. back in. He did right, come well, back yeah. in. But then the one that we were more nervous about was Tyra Lockett, who caught a pass, got his knee twisted while he was being tackled, uh, four catches for 31 yards, looked awful. You know, teams surrounded him on the field, but then went out of the game 
grabbed his helmet and wanted to come back in. So hopefully we get some good news here on Tyrod. I think he did. I think he did come back in. So I think that he avoided uh, crazy injury as well. Yeah, and I know that they lost, but still DK Metcalf, as we expected. I mean, some of the things that he did to to uh, Patrick Peterson early on in this game was unbelievable. Twisting him, running whip routes, winning down the field, avoiding tackles. I know it's been two incredible Tyra Lockett games, but just like, you know, when AJ Brown comes back, just like when you have these pairings of wide receivers that we draft so early on, you can have small samples of the first two guys of Tyler Lockett having a great start of the season and then panicking because you took the other guy, but he has the talent and the same quarterback to also have that one, two or three game sample and stretch to uh, win you fantasy weeks. And hopefully DK Metcalf did that for some people. That was the best argument you've ever made for Robert Woods. I, we hope you know, <laughs> you know i almost said his name but then i was like i better not do that i better not do that maybe i can do that about robert robbie anderson as well at some point too hayden uh there's a lot of those duos uh there's a lot of those duos that the, the second name still needs to hit um i think we can close with two games first up the falcons and the giants falcons get their first one of the season the giants dropped to 0-3 17 to 14 atlanta wins Weird game here, Hayden, because you think if the Falcons win that they get Calvin Ridley going. Not so much. Eight receptions, 61 yards, which is still pretty good considering this season. And then Cal Pitts did nothing until the final few series. Three targets, two catches, 35 yards. I put a joking tweet out that Arthur Smith is 2021 Mike Martz, a name you might not even know who that is. Greatest show on turf, was the OC there, then got a head coaching job, fizzled out. Um it's 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 concerning when we see all these other young new play callers go to their teams and instill their vision and do it the right way quickly. And Arthur Smith isn't using the pieces that he necessarily invested in in a way that is at least aesthetically pleasing to us. Maybe that's just me selfishly speaking here. I haven't watched this game, but his vis- does his vision come with a couple starting starting caliber offensive linemen too? Like, I don't know. I'm very curious. I want to watch all of Cordero Patterson and Mike Davis's snaps. Cordero Patterson I'm led the the team in, in yards Let's here, so I'm him. very curious. But Mike Davis, I like he's like an RB2-3 guy right now. He got the 12 carries. He's not going to score that many touchdowns because the offense looks like crap, but he still at least caught – Four, uh, all four of his targets. So he's probably going to end up being like the RB 25 or something like that. Well, it's what we talked about with Cordero Patterson, where he is a running back and wide receiver in usage. And he had running back and wide receiver receptions and alignments once again. But I think the fear that I had that you brought up the offensive line concerns that this team just can't create space for Mike Davis to even get to like the first second level at times that just using speed in certain situations and that's the usage that we're going to talk a lot about during tuesday's show that maybe just having cordero patterson out there just opens up the possibilities of more explosive plays the giants are so screwed um we even got saquon barkley having solid solid numbers 16 carries 51 yards a touchdown Devontae booker was inactive in this game so that led us to believe that he was going to have a massive workload saquon and he did but Hayden, their most crucial wide receiver in the other parts of the season, Serving Shepard, left almost immediately in this game with a hamstring injury. And all that we got was Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley with 43 yards, Evan Ingram, 21 yards. Um, the Giants are are in the depths of the NFL at the moment. 
Kenny Galladay comes in the game with a hip injury. Sterling Shepard leaves, and Kadarius Tony has 16 yards, man. Like, that's that's your first-round pick, and you're 0-3, and you're playing the Falcons. Like, you got to be better than that, Giants. So uh, the Giants came into the year already with, what, the 31st worst offensive line. Since then, they've had multiple injuries across the offensive line. So there's, like, there's no hope here. You you get your RB one weeks based on the volume for Saquon. Maybe we get Kenny Galladay, depending on Sterling Shepard's stuff. But, like, Evan Ingram, no. Yep. Kadarius, no. All the rest of the guys just no. Well, we end with a big no. The Denver Broncos being the New York Jets, 26 to 0. Hayden, as I mentioned last week, it's flat out embarrassing for an NFL team to get shut out in 2021. Put up three points, put up a touchdown. You pay these people money. You draft a player, you know, top two overall at quarterback. The Jets are abysmal. And a lot of it, is on injuries. A lot of it is you can't do everything in year one, even though Joe Douglas has been there for a while, but it's deeper than that. Like the OC isn't making anything easy or simple. And then Zach Wilson, anytime he is forced to double clutch or hold on the football too long, the offensive line can't hold up and he's sacked or he makes a bad play. I mean, today, another two interceptions, 160 yards, this is getting towards a territory where Owen 17 is in sight and Zach Wilson potentially like setting interception records is in sight as well. There's no Vic Fangio in the Mac West, Josh. I mean, this is just like, he looks so bad. Like, I hate to say it. Like the, the, the problem with it though, is like, we know he can make the throws. Like we were never questioning the arm talent. The, like the biggest question mark on his profile was what can you do under pressure? Like he was never under pressure. And Right now, I'll give him an F. And a lot of those like double clutches, that's on him. Like, even if guys aren't getting open, you have to throw the ball. Like, you can't just be six foot, 200. People say that he looks like me and then sit in the pocket and expect to get good results. So you have to throw the ball eventually. So you can't take five sacks. I don't know how much that was on the offensive line versus him. But after watching the first two weeks, I'm guessing right. this is this is a Zach Wilson problem. Like, we can save the coaching staff, the offensive line. This is a Zach Wilson problem. This is the worst case because this was what he didn't do in college and we're seeing it and it's looking like as literally an F grade. I think that's pretty, pretty appropriate. Yeah. In fairness, Panthers week one, Patriots week two, Vic Fangio and the Broncos in week three, but you can't just get F's on all three tests. Yeah. And that's what, that's what he has done. Like you, you can look average or make a couple mistakes, the entire package and every single one of those, other than it just looking pretty, and looking nice when he, you know, moves the pocket and throws down the field and it becomes incomplete. That's what people are hanging on to right now with Zach Wilson. And that is a troubling narrative to write for the entire season because then it sets you up for so many questions heading into year two. So at some point, some stability needs to happen on offense. And I just don't know how, how it's created. And also Elijah Moore left with a concussion in this game. Yeah. So he was doing. He was doing nothing. No, he was. He was, but yeah. I just don't know how nothing is is created easy on this team. Uh, quickly on on the Broncos end, uh, Javante Williams twelve carries, twenty nine yards, and a score. He was making people miss. Also at a fumble near the goal line, and Melvin Gordon. Baller. I know everyone. What I keep seeing on Twitter is that Javante Williams second half of the season he's going to win your fantasy leagues. Javante Williams is such a player. Both can coexist on this team, and they're doing it to a three and start at the moment. It doesn't have to be either or right now, Hayden, it's an and, and because of that, while we view Javante Williams as an unreal talent in the second round that has a clear area where he wins, 
we cannot forget about Melvin Gordon and how he's still super talented and how he's thriving on this team right now and how he found the end zone once again. Like he is everywhere on this team right now. He's averaging 11 yards per target and 5.5 yards per carry this season. Like that is that is a high quality stuff from Melvin Gordon. I know there's a couple of big plays there that kind of skewed the stats, but he's creating some of those big plays. And the Broncos gave him all that money. They could have tried to trade him before his contract was guaranteed this offseason. They decided not to. And I think that probably the Broncos understand that Melvin Gordon's better at football than the couple of people hoping that they have their Javante Williams shares paying off think that Melvin Gordon's better at football. So uh, I, I don't think he's going anywhere for a while. Yeah. Interesting point here by Lyndon quickly to end this on, on Zach Wilson that, you know, you bring a guy in coming from BYU draft number two overall, not necessarily competition from a veteran, but just someone that can help him learn the ropes. We hear that all the time with young quarterbacks coming into the league. You have to find the right one, you know, maybe Joe Flacco wasn't that a couple other names potentially weren't that with some of those quarterbacks waiting in the wings. But uh, I'm sure it surely helps because it is such a massive leap. And we are seeing that firsthand. And there's no way, like, just to be able to on a week-in, week-out basis or even in the game to slow it down, like, take a breath, be like, okay, I did pauses here. I screwed up here. How do I fix that? I just don't know. Again, it's it's building, and it's a lot of yeah. negatives right now for the Jets. No, yeah, no experience. No head, no head coach experience. Correct. I think the offensive coordinator, first-time offensive coordinator – Zach Wilson like didn't even play a freaking power five school. I mean, it's just like there's no backup quarterback. And, and the Jets could have done this. They had all the cap space to bring in some yep. somebody to help them out. So, yeah, not a good look. All right. We will be back on Tuesday after I dig through all the games. Hayden digs through the games. Hayden scrapes all the data. It's the show where we combine film. We combine analytics. We combine stats. It's my favorite of the week. It's the most actionable of the week. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for that. Just search Underdog Fantasy. You can take us on the road with you. The Underdog Football Show. Always five-star reviews. Truly, truly do help us out. Hayden, this has been a joy. Lyndon, Christian, Cameron, Eric, Scampers, you're always here. Sam, appreciate JP, all of you out there thanks for tuning in like and subscribe on the road to 5000 subs up the villa everyone talk to y'all soon see ya